The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelchin Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday. I'm Tom King in the studio. Merle Kelch joining us on location today, but he will be able to take your phone calls and questions at 715-845-2155. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning, Tom. Good morning, everybody. It is a, well, not really a sunny day, but it is rainy nice outside today, so <laughs> we're enjoying this up here. Indeed. You are in the Northwoods, and uh, I guess a lot of things have been happening. I, I haven't talked to you for a couple of weeks. You were with Mike Leishner here on the program last weekend, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, yeah. I get what uh, what has jumped out at you in the last couple of weeks. I, I know the inflation word is still banging around. The Fed is talking about raising rates uh, next week again. Uh, what What news stories are on your radar? You know, some of the biggest stuff that's popping out here is, is, well, I got some confirmation from my favorite economist, you know, saying that we're still looking at growth for 22. Uh, but in an article that popped out yesterday, matter of fact, was kind of interesting is, same thing we've been hearing all week, he says that the market is now fairly priced, it's where it should be. And uh, in general, uh, the expectations are is if inflation gets under control, it's a buying opportunity. If inflation uh, continues to keep getting away, um, uh, uh, the stock market is about where it should be. Um, at this point in time, and so that's their general opinion that they have. So, um, so that said, um, we took a look at with the market dropping yesterday, some 880 points. Um, dropping down was really because of three things: one, you know, a fresh new 40-year high of inflation, which is absolutely terrible. Of course, oil prices and gas prices going up. I don't know if you noticed that, Tom. Well, explain th- explain this to me. Let's take a quick quick uh, detour here. Um, yeah, the price of oil, I think, was like ranging from 115 to $118 a barrel, all right? right. And I, I saw something online that uh, the price of oil was relatively the same back in like, I don't know, 2004 or something like that, maybe even before that. It, the price of oil per barrel was the same, and yet gas was half of what it is now. How does that work? Well, I, I, I can't speak of that. I haven't seen it as far as inflation adjustments, but... From 2004 to now, we got bigger formulations that happen in the summer, and that adds to that as well. Um, but I think there's some, in my opinion, I think there's some gouging that's happening someplace in the middle of there. Um, and, and the reason I'm saying that is, is uh, you know, I filled up my truck, and I thought that I was going to have to arrange financing on my diesel uh, on, on Wednesday before I came up. And I paid 4.99 here in, in Wausau. And the next day, the very same club, uh, uh, very same place, I looked at it the next morning, um, and it was up 10% overnight. I mean, you just, just look at it and say, well, this is just ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And so somewhere in there, there's going to end up having to be some time or some competition or somebody's going to come in and say, we've had enough. And it's going to force everybody else to start dropping down in prices. Even where um, up north here is usually 10 cents a gallon more for most stuff, and the price up here is the same as that is, for example, instead of Wausau. Well, I saw, I, saw, I saw a gas station in Merrill that was selling it for like four seventy nine. There was a story today out of, I think it's... I want to say Arizona or somewhere out west, and there was a gas station owner that is selling gas like 25 or 30 cents under what he pays for it just to help out his customers during this time of, of need. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, he's making his money up in other places. but And, and there's, a, and there's a, a business owner that's uh, going to do well for his community. I think what uh, these companies have the ability to do is simply say, well, um, we're going to sell it at just a little bit above cost. And I, I don't know what the margin is on fuel. 
Um, but I think it's a heck of a lot more right now if you're jumping your prices up 10% over the course overnight. And the fuel that you still have inside of the tanks has not gone up 10% in price. Well, think about think about the, the public relations coup if you were an oil company and just came right out and said, we're, we're going to uh, only sell our gas for, for the time being at just a little bit over. I mean, car companies do it all the time when they have car sales and they tell you they're only going to sell you know, for a few dollars over over whatever they, it costs to make the car. Um Yep. So why? Yeah, so it's best time. I'm really proud of you. So why? So why don't they do that then? Is it the shareholders telling them that they don't that they they like the record profits that they're bringing in now and and keep it going? I mean, supply and demand and all of that. I don't have an answer for that, but I think it's from a long time. Remember, um, uh, oil and gas companies took it on the chin throughout the course of the pandemic because they dropped down so much. Um, you know, perhaps uh, some of them are refilling their coffers, but at the expense of everybody else. Um, I'm really not a, a big fan of that. So in finishing my last part then on this part, uh, you know, oil and gas, by the way, is, is certainly part of all this inflation, oil and gas, which, of course, is part. And then the question becomes, in the uncertainty that really drove the marketplace down yesterday was, well, next week will the Fed drop interest rates still a half a percent or will it go three quarters? And so the market just went completely crazy, wondering what's going to happen with that. And, and that just really started driving stocks down. Now, Tom and everybody listening, one of the things I thought was really interesting in here is that as I go through, and I've probably got about 40 stocks, 50 stocks that I watch on a regular basis on my phone. <clears throat> and as I'm looking through them, I'm finding the only ones that had green, which, of course, green, good, red, bad, um, are the ones that are what we would call the defensive stocks, which is essentially like your energy, your food, your big retail companies. Those are the only ones that are green. So somewhere along the way, um, there is um, um, purchasing happening, in my opinion, um, you know, for the future. I mean, somebody's buying all these big defensive stocks, um, um, you know, that you want to have when things start going to, pardon my directness, hell in the handbasket, and somebody's starting to buy those up already as, as far as that marketplace. And, and maybe that's some place that we as investors look at. You know, maybe it's not for us to say, well, I'm going to go out and speculate as our 20-year-old and 30-year-old friends would have uh, buying uh, NTFs or uh, that whole bit. The, the marketplace seems to be directing itself towards those big defensive stocks. By the time we notice that, is it too late? Uh, has the big money already changed the market uh, and uh, we're, we're too late to get in on that? No, I don't think so at all. Um, I don't think that's the case. You know, so I actually wrote down a note down here for a bunch of stuff and saying, you know, preparing for a recession. I put down a whole bunch of stuff. And we could probably spend some time going through here because I, I think there's some stuff in here that makes sense for us to start preparing for it. Now, um, in, in, in Merle's life and Merle with clients, are we saying, well, we're going to start selling stuff out and start buying over here and doing that and changing whole portfolios? By no measure are we doing that. Um, when we, we put stuff together, we put stuff together, and we're looking at it for a longer period of time, and right now it's no different. However, I'm putting some new money in, or I'm looking at doing a few things. I might do a little bit differently now for the next couple of years versus something else in case we do have, as Jamie Dimon calls it, the hurricane coming in the future the mix between recession and the interest rates going up and the economy slowing. So some of the stuff we may want to take a look at, and this just simply makes sense, is to make sure we're lessening our debt right now as a household. So even if you're a business out there, you know, start lessening your debt. I mean, we're still going to have growth from at least most economists. Um, one of my favorites, of course, Brian Westbury from First Trust, um, saying we think we're still going to have growth throughout the course of 22. And it certainly makes sense for us to say, well, let's get rid of some of that credit card debt or that consumer debt that we have. Let's let's do what we can to get some of those uh, paid off and down in case we uh, end up losing our job or getting laid off for a certain period of time to make sure we don't have all those extra payments. 
perhaps adding some cash. I mean, putting some cash there and saying, well, let's let's put a little bit of nest egg of cash out there someplace just in case things get a little bit tight. That we can make sure we cover stuff until things start coming back again. You know, uh, not only that, but having some cash for opportunities that pop up. As we all know, when things start getting tight, things also go on sale. Now, when you're talking about when you're talking about keeping cash as part of your portfolio, you're not talking about coffee cans buried in the backyard or something under the bed, right? <laughs> well, no. But how do you hold? Your, how, how do you hold your way, Tom? Go ahead <laughs> and make a really good map. And get a metal detector. How do you hold cash? Then, what's the best way to hold cash when you're talking about that? In, in, instance like this, I say really nothing more than a checking or a savings account. Um, you know, so if we go into a recessionary event. Um, which recessionary event is two quarters or more in a row of negative GDP, gross domestic product. Now, make no mistake about it. The uh, news media has us believing we're in a recession now, and we're, we're just clearly not. The math, all the political and the, the news aside, the math just does not show that we're in a, 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 a recession. feels like it when you go to the store with the inflation, but we're, we're not in a recession. Our business is still growing at this point in time. Um, so, so with that and said... Um, when you look at that and you say, well, I'm going to put some cash aside in case something happens here as a recessionary period comes along, um, usually just put it in checking or savings account at the bank. Now, that actually cautions me to say um, with everybody else is that watch out for CDs right now. Um, CDs are not bad. They're guaranteed. They're FDIC guaranteed. And that part of it is not the bad part. It's just that you have a lot of banks that are trying to say, well, why don't you buy this three-year CD? We're going to give you a higher interest rate. But you don't want to do that during a rising interest rate environment because pretty soon the short-term rates that we're going to have now are going to be higher than what the long-term rates is you locked your money up in. And so from that, you want to make sure you watch your CDs or ladder them. Maybe have one that's six months and another one that's a year past it, not going much farther out past that. And so just make sure you preface that when we're talking about the, the bank account. 715-845-2155 is the number to call here if you have a question for Merle. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more and uh, right here on WSAU. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, since home for Dan Bongino, AM 550, FM 99.9, and in Wausau, 95.1. WSAU. And we're back. I'm Tom King in the studio. Merle Kelch on location today. Phone lines are open, 715-845-2155. With the uh, price, the last time that gas spiked like it has, a lot of people turned to alternate forms of transportation. We as a country have not done a great job outside of maybe a few areas in investing in mass transit. Um, and uh, for other folks, maybe uh, bicycles or scooters or some other way of transportation is something that people are going to look at. Is that a segment of the of the investment world that is going to become more popular here as long as gas stays up where it is? You know, Tom, what's interesting about this is, is uh, I'm kind of smiling because I said the same thing. Remember when fuel prices were going up back in 2008 or so, um, everybody's getting onto these 50cc scooters, and you saw them running around all over the place. For God's sakes, I thought we were. I was back in uh, Vietnam when I was there. <laughs> well, I rode my I bike a lot. You know, I'm getting yeah, to the yeah. age now where I probably don't want to ride my bike in the middle of the night to work. But for a while there, I did yeah. uh, riding my bike at three in the morning. Sure. Um, uh, well, I'm not going to ride a bike. You know, first of all, <laughs> the, the frame would break. But uh, you know, what's kind of funny is the scooters. Uh, you know, they used to be all over the place. In fact, there was even a little place close to my office that I took a house and put, made it into a little scooter shop. I remember that. Yeah, that's going. Yeah, and so and so from we're not seeing the scooters anymore. And I thought, well, now now's a perfect 
time to actually have that happen. You know, having the scooters run around, we're not seeing those. But um, I think ultimately we start seeing some of those things. Um, um, I think using mass transit and trains and something like that, we can hop on them, but I don't think there's going to be anything new built soon because this will probably be over by the time we get there. Um, so so who knows uh, about that part, but certainly the scooters and that kind of stuff would make a lot of sense right now, um, especially for uh, anybody who wants to get to work quick. I even thought about taking out my bike other than just simply joyride just because it gets better mileage on that than uh, you know the big diesel truck does. Right. Which, by the way, I found myself driving very slow and easy yesterday. Uh, when I had to you know, take a trip in the town, um, uh, rather than you know driving well, you know like I normally do. So, uh, so I think it's going to change all of us with the price of fuel. You know, this is it's a tax on us all. Yeah, when the fuel well, you goes up. you could get a smart car. Um, yes, um, and I could tow it in the back of my <laughs> diesel truck. Seven one five eight four five twenty one fifty five. Give us a call here if you have a question for Merle. Um, so what? If the Fed does raise interest rates uh, up to three-quarters of a point, which is something they're talking about here, then you believe the market will react positively to that, as they've already re- reacted negatively the last few days? You know, I, I don't know. Um, conversations quite a bit, um, uh, not yesterday, but the day before, and it actually was yesterday, um, was that the um, the market already has a recession built into the price of the stock right now in the stock market. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I think – if the Federal Reserve increases 75 basis points next week versus 50 basis points, I don't know that it's going to be a real big surprise to anybody. So I don't know if we see much of a knee-jerk reaction to it. Um, and as you said, it, it might go positive because people think that the Federal Reserve is finally trying to get ahead of this. The Federal Reserve is behind the eight ball automatically. Um, uh, interestingly, though, and, and I want to bring this up there, I tried to find the article for the show, folks, and I couldn't find who said it and where. And if somebody finds out, let me know. But there was a, a billionaire, because it said billionaire, name, you know, energy sector um, person. He came up with a point, and I actually had made this point to some colleagues a, a few weeks ago at a conference we were at. I said, you know, um, I, I think that if we just leave interest rates where they are so we still have a stimulative economy, but we fix the oil and gas, and I think that reverberates everything else, driving the prices down on almost everything across the board, um, I don't think it would be a bad idea. And so the billionaire came up, and he had some points to this. Um, and I don't have uh, the points that are there, but essentially what he's saying, and I'm paraphrasing at this point, it says, why don't we leave the interest rates where they are? Um, just leave them and don't increase it and kill the economy. Uh, but to go back, go through, uh, let the permits happen and just drill like crazy and get the oil out of the ground and, and just flood the market with oil. And in doing so, not only do we become a net exporter of oil and gas again, but then they'll drive down our domestic prices, which will drive down goods, services, food, um, everything else along the way then have the economy continue to expand with lower prices and let inflation naturally drop down versus forcing it on the Fed. And, and I, I really like that idea. I think it's a, a really interesting way to do it versus essentially doing the old Paul Volcker, um, if you remember, Tom, uh, where he just increased interest rates so high, if anybody, I'm sure everybody remembers that, late 70s, early 80s, he increased the interest rates so high that it just killed the economy. We had to start over. Now, I don't know that we're going that direction, but um, the economy certainly is going to suffer probably in 23 uh, by the interest rates going up so much in the high fuel prices at the same time. Well, when you mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago that the Fed was behind the eight ball, I thought, isn't the Fed supposed to be out ahead of this stuff? How did how did it get behind uh, and and, uh, not be able to uh, to jump ahead of these problems to try to curb them a little faster? Well, I I think the, the Fed was trying to. And this goes back into the Trump administration and to the uh, Biden administration. Um, keep interest rates low to get people back to work and get the economy fired up. Remember, folks, we're still 
firing up the economy and getting stuff turned back on after the pandemic. Make no mistake about it. We're not uh, in something new and this recession is brand new after the pandemic. We're still turning the economy on. And so things are still not firing as they would normally have fired, say, in 2019. So with that, the Fed and the federal government was trying to keep stuff so it was stimulative to get people back to work again, keep stuff going, keep things growing. So that was all part of this plan. Well, I don't think the part that the, the Federal Reserve planned on was that uh, there's going to be all this free extra cash keep going out in a stimulative way from the government. And in both administrations, they kept giving federal dollar amounts away. I understand the premise to it, but it just it, it appears obviously it's too much. Now, we're looking hindsight, obviously, folks. So, so with that, I think the Federal Reserve was able to plan the amount of cash that was out there that has to be sucked up somehow. And so that cash is either going to be sucked up through people investing it or spending it. Well, it looks like it's going to be on food and gas right now um, in the amount we're spending it. And so with that, I think inflation just got ahead of the Fed as a result of that. Not defending them, but it, that's what it appears to have, have happened. Um, the Federal Reserve has inflation targets, which they work on on an ongoing basis. But right now it really jumped up. Um, and, and now there's some work to do to get it done. And it's gonna, there's going to be some pain involved. Uh, so make no mistake about it, Tom. All right, 715-845-2155. We're going to take a break for some news. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. If you came across a child struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? .org. A message from the Ad Council. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelchin Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back. I'm Tom King in the studio. Merle Kelch joining us on location today. I just saw an article from Jim Cramer on uh, on CNBC, and he talked on his TV show yesterday warning investors that stocks of some newer companies that saw big success during the pandemic are continuing to come down, and he suggests this may just be the beginning. Cramer says, when your stock doesn't have any dividend support and doesn't have a reasonable valuation versus earnings, assuming it even has earnings, there's no floor in this market. If you find yourself asking how low can it go, the answer is almost always lower. Some of the companies he talked about included Stitch Fix, which is an online shopping company that was went up very fast during the pandemic, and also DocuSign, which is a company that I guess allows you to sign documents uh, virtually. Yep. Um, I would imagine those are only two examples of companies that were really hot and then all of a sudden were really not. And I guess we didn't learn anything from the uh, dot-com dot com bubble back in the day, huh? Well, the thing is, is, is if people are going to take risks, they're going to take risk, And uh, those people are always out there regardless of, of what we learn from history. Um, you know, it, and it's actually true. You know, Kramer's been saying for the course, well, probably the last two months, you know, buy stuff that companies that build stuff and pay dividends and make money. He's been saying over the course of the last two weeks himself. Um, and, and it really goes back to, again, as we talked about, having defensive stocks. You know, the, the tech sector and the tech boom and the companies that, that jumped up because we were buying everything online during the pandemic. Um, as we stopped buying stuff online, we see those stocks come down or stall out. And we can look at them right down to uh, Google. I mean, you know, we use Google and Amazon and that a little bit. And, and those stocks have really kind of stalled out um, as a result. Of, I shouldn't say Google, but uh, Amazon. 
Um, not that there's something wrong with the company. No, they're still making money. It's just not going up as fast because everybody's not using the online parts of that service anymore. So it, it's interesting, but Kramer's right. We've got to look at stuff that makes money and is of good quality um, and, uh, and hopefully it pays a dividend because, again, dividend means the company's making profit and is sending it out. So this kind of goes to a question that was presented to me um, uh, this past week. In fact, probably a couple times over the course of the last two or three weeks is, should I retire now? Should I retire now in this marketplace? What do I do? And, and my conversation is always with people, and you go through the math, and if their portfolio goes down by 10%, it really doesn't affect you know, all that much money from a monthly basis. And I'd have to show you the, the math on that versus tell you um, it probably wouldn't make a lot of sense in doing so. But you know, in times like this, do we still get to retire? And the answer is most certainly yes. We're planning three people who are going to retire right now, um, but we have to look at different things, and, and one of them is his income, and I always try to recommend if we can, let's guarantee some of the income, and we might have one of those areas coming back once again. So, Tom, if you're like me and like everybody else, you look at it and say, well, my bills are 5000 a month. I'm making up a number here, Tom, because I know yours and your examined lifestyle are probably about 10000 <laughs> Yeah. So if it's five thousand a month and Social Security represents three thousand, that means we got two thousand dollars left. We got to come up with, uh, with money from someplace. And and I'd like to, especially in a recessionary period of time, I'd like to know what's guaranteed. In case the investments in a marketplace are jumping up and down, I want to make sure that that money's going into my checkbook, so I can live and do the things I want to do. And there's a couple of places you can do that are guaranteed. One of them is the municipal bond marketplace, which um, uh, bonds, by the way, folks, is the normal place that money starts shifting into recessionary environment, but we have to watch them. So if we have time here today, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, but the municipal bond marketplace, we have the ability to not only buy some municipal bonds, but a lot of municipal bonds have insurance in them for interest and principal in case something screws up. I really like this. Now, the problem we haven't, the reason we haven't really been buying many for clients, especially about over the last five years, is because of the interest rates being so low, the values of the bonds were so high that we're buying them at such a premium, it just didn't make any sense. We weren't getting what was called any yield that was anything beneficial to us. Well, with the interest rates now going up, and I think especially after next week, and especially if we do end up going up three-quarters of a point, which I think will probably still be a half, but if it goes up to three-quarters of a point, those bonds are going to be start coming into price where we can get a nice yield. I bet we'll be able to find some good quality. Again, you can find any yield you want to, Tom, like anything else but good quality yield um, in the, the 35 to 4.5% range. So that's an after-tax or before after-tax dollar amount. So before tax would be like earning 6%, 6.5%. So um, we'd probably be able to find that and have some guarantees to it, I think, and it's coming up here probably in the next month or two. So if we take some, some money that we have for retirement, we put into that, we can actually have a guaranteed income stream that has guarantees for income and principal using municipal bonds which we haven't been able to in about the last five years. It's kind of exciting to me, but then again, I'm one of those weirdos. I'm excited about weird things. The other part that we have to look at that I think is going to come back um, is using a variable annuity with what's called a guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefit. So a guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefit allows us to put the money inside of the marketplace. We are paying for that guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefit as an extra expense and fee, uh, usually in the 1.5% uh, range. Uh, plus or minus. But what it allows us to do is if we turn on, we decide to turn on that income stream from that guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefit, Tom, it's guaranteed for our life. And for most companies, we can actually guarantee it for husband and wife. 
Uh, there's different circumstances where we might not be able to, but for most of us, we can do that. So even if that money then in that annuity runs out, we still get our income for the rest of our life, so it's guaranteed. But the other part of the variable annuity, and more than likely what's going to happen, is that we put the money in there, and here we're sitting at an event that it looks like we're on the, uh, the horizon of a recessionary period of time coming next year. We're putting that money in, and after that recessionary period of time is done, we'll start to see a growth economy coming back. So not only do we put the money in now when the markets are essentially low, so we have the potential of participating in the rise of the marketplace over the year, but everything goes crazy and drops down, we still have the guarantee of income. So it allows us to have that mix of both worlds, essentially, using an insurance product, and we're paying for that insurance to do that because we're paying for an expense for that rider. And so that's another area for us I think that could be really good um, as we're getting ready for um, this recessionary uh, event that um, uh, it looks like is going to happen in 23. When we have situations like this, um, the advertising comes out of the woodwork, advertising products and services that you need in order to survive, whether it, <coughs> excuse me, whether it be, you know, gold, whether it be uh, emergency food supplies, whether it be all kinds of different things. How much, how many of those are useful in, and do you look at as far as uh, helping protect from not only the recessionary period, but all of the other problems that have to go on when, when a market adjusts like this? Sure. Um, I actually kind of get humored in some of the stuff that we see in this, in this, in this world, because um, we're always humored by, it, it humors me because all the stuff that did a little bit well, let's say, in the last six months is now going to be the world's greatest invention. You have to have it. Um, so it always kind of cracks me up. You always hear somebody advertising that gold is the best thing in the world. And for one reason or another, in America, if you're going to advertise gold, you have to have somebody with an English accent because apparently that makes it better. <laughs> Um, you know, and, 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 you know, if things are truly going to be as bad as some people are thinking, you know, I don't want to invest inside of gold. I want to invest inside of seeds so I can grow my own food. Um, yeah, so, the old line is you can't eat gold, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, from an investment standpoint, we've been through recessions before. You, Tom, I, me, we've all been through it. Most of the people listening to this have been through a recession. Um, some people are about to go through it for the first time. If you're 30 years old, you'll probably see a recessionary event for the first time. And it's okay. We're going to make it through. You can still make money during a recessionary period of time. You just have to ask questions from people you know and say, what do we need to do to prepare for it to get through and that whole bit? Um, but it's going to be fun. Uh, will, will gold uh, go up in value? Yeah, probably gold and oil tend to go up during a recessionary period of time. Um, will it be our investment forever? No, but it will be investment for a short period of time. You know, some things do real well during a recessionary event in a period of time, and, and gold's one of them. Uh, another one is, for example, Tom, our high-yield bonds. <clears throat> now, high-yield bonds typically um, are really frightening at times like now, especially if you start going to a recessionary event. So a high-yield bond, folks, is essentially a bond, um, uh, and they used to call them junk bonds years ago. And then uh, They I don't like call to, them junk bonds anymore? Well, I like to have some fun with this because it helps to explain it. So a, a junk bond, you, you basically have a rating service. S&P 500 has one, Moody has one where the AAA bond is the highest bond you can get. That's high quality. Oh, we've all seen the uh, movie The Big Short. And yeah, you, no. got <laughs> you got it. You got it. You got the AA and you got the A and you got about B+. The B+, up is called investment grade. That's that's your good companies that have been around for a long time. They're making money, paying dividends. Then you start getting below that stuff and you start getting what's called junk bonds, where um, you know you can you can get 
yields whatever you want to. You know, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds' character in that movie had a description that I can't say on the air of what those uh, junk bonds were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, he's right. <laughs> um, you know, people will say, well, geez, can I find a, a bond that's got a yield of 12%? And the answer is yes, you can. Will you get your money back? Who knows? You know, because it's called a junk bond for a reason. So um, I like to make fun and say people didn't like junk bonds because it had a negative uh, connotation to it. So they tried to make it sexy and call it a high-yield bond. Uh-huh. So it makes it sound better, but that's what they were. So a high-yield bond, um, uh, you know, when the economy is growing, high-yield bonds typically are pretty good because you get a nice yield um, out of the portfolio. But as you're going into a recessionary event, they stink because those companies that had some problems have the potential of going entirely under, and so you lose your money with the bonds. And so the high-yield stink. But as you start getting about halfway through the recession and things start improving, those high-yield bonds start taking off in value, and the reason is you have those uh, companies that were stinking, and all of a sudden they made it through. The recessionary period is time is getting better. It's improving. Now all of a sudden these companies decide, hey, we're actually making some money, and they tend to get improvements in the value of those bonds, and the high yields take off. Um, so that's another opportunity that ends up falling uh, or popping up as a result of a recessionary event, and most people miss that, and it's not for long. It only lasts for maybe a six months or a year, at least from experience and seeing these things. But that sort of stuff happens during bond um, recessionary events. We still make money. We can still see it. Just have an idea where to look. So um, on that, um, and I know I'm bouncing around here talking about recession stuff, but at least I want everybody here to listen to it one time or here to start with. You know, during a recessionary event, money tends to leave stocks and goes into the bond marketplace. And it's been trying to do that all year long, but a lot of people, um, the, a lot of the, the markets have shifted into the bonds, and then the interest rates go up, and they get you know beaten ahead a little bit, and they say, oh, geez, maybe we should go back to the stock market. So there's money floating back and forth between stock and bond right now like crazy. So remember, when interest rates go up, folks, you've heard me say it thousands of times in this program, value of bonds drop. So it means that we're able to buy some good bonds at some good prices, but with the stock market, our interest rate still going up, if you buy the bonds now, you're going to get shot in the foot. But eventually, whether it's going to be two weeks from now or two months from now or three months from now, you'll be able to go through and say, I'm going to buy um, a half a dozen bonds, um, and from that I'm going to make it so that I can have an interest rate uh, from the dividends from the bonds that are going to start paying into my checking account um, that I can uh, you know, take care of my expenses and bills. And now you can just let the whatever investments grow and let them do whatever they're supposed to do over the course of the next year or two or three years if we have a recessionary event. And in doing so, you can build those ladder bond portfolios. I love doing them. For me, they're a lot of fun, but I'm one of those weirdos again. <laughs> um, but there's not a lot of guys out there that have been around enough or have experience enough on building a ladder bond portfolio. Now, that said, it is not a bond mutual fund, and I'm warning everybody out there. Stay away from, right now, bond mutual funds. Because bond mutual funds are really going to be susceptible to problems as the interest rates continue to rise with the inflation. All right, 715-845-2155. We'll take one more break and come back with more. You're listening to Merle Kelch here on WSAU. Now, this day. Here's Chris Conley. There's a mystery surrounding John Wayne's death. When I was in Iraq, our convoy was hit. It was bad. After I came home, I could still hear booms and see tracer fire. Makes it hard to be a good mom. 
As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. I'm Naomi Mathis, Air Force veteran. With the right support, more veterans can reach victories great and small. With help from DAV, I was able to begin to heal. DAV provides a lifetime of support to veterans of every generation, helping more than a million veterans each year. Today, I'm part of DAV. We're veterans helping veterans to get the benefits they've earned. And I give my veterans my all. But there's more to be done and more victories to be won. My victory is being able to be here for my children. Naomi Mathis, thank you for your service. May your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. And we're back. I'm Tom King in the studio. Merle Kelch joining us on location. You know, earlier we were talking about dividend-paying stocks. And is my premise wrong that um, dividend-paying stocks are better than non-dividend-paying stocks? And if that is, in fact, the case, why wouldn't everybody build a portfolio that is almost entirely, if not entirely, made of dividend-paying stocks? Um, Dividend-paying stocks aren't necessarily always better than non-dividend-paying stocks. Some stocks don't pay a dividend because they're putting so much inside of research and development but are still making great profit. Um, But more times than not, a dividend-paying stock is just better because you know the company's already making money. So uh, there are mutual funds that are out there, and of course I can't say the name of the mutual fund on the program, but there are mutual funds that are out there that only invest inside of stocks that are paying dividends. In fact, some of them only invest inside of stocks that are not only paying dividends but continually increase the dividends. And those stocks tend to have a real good, consistent um, uh, pattern to them as far as you know, growth and that kind of thing. Um, but dividends are important. I mean, dividends means make that sure that that company's making money, that there's earning per share. If we take a look at a lot of these uh, Internet stocks, again, where they started selling stuff online, they're new companies. If you look at their balance sheet and it says uh, dividends, it says nil. A lot of times you look at these new companies, especially you look down on the bottom of their profit, and it still says nil. But yet people want to pour all this money into them. Well, it, it says nil. We don't, they don't make any money. You remember, Tom, we've been around long enough that uh, we were on air together when Facebook first came out in public. And it kept going up in stock. And if you remember me, I kept going, I don't know why. They don't make any money. Yeah. Um, and then somewhere along the way, and uh, Zuckerberg, of course, he's a you know a brilliant man, um, said, well, hey, we got to change this platform to making it so it's for mobile on phones versus computers, and we got to start selling advertising. And then literally, boof, overnight they started making money. Now the stock uh, really took off because it was now a stock that was making money and going forward. And so sometimes you know, you'll find that some of these young companies like that, they have the ability to do that, to figure out how to make money. I'd just rather wait for them to make money. I'm a better fan of that versus uh, trying to take a speculation of, of whether or not it's going to work one way or another. I just uh, looked at a story here that says Tesla, in its annual proxy statement with the SEC, revealed it plans a three-for-one stock split. Um, yep. I guess uh, tell us why a company would do that, and uh, does this have anything to do with uh, Elon Musk's uh, situation with Twitter? Well, let's have some, you know, rather than the you know, starry and, and brilliant stuff we've been talking about all day that make people feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, Tesla right now is, uh, uh, though it's down considerably, it's down 30-some percent already this year, but it's still trading at just light of 700 bucks a share, I think it was like 696 or something. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so what happens then is, in theory, um, 
that the stock is too expensive for Tom to buy 100 shares. Right. But if the, the cost was, um, say, $200 a share or $150 a share, Tom might say, well, I'll buy 100 shares. And a lot of this goes back to um, uh, the old days in stock purchasing where everything was done physically by paper, and that's hardly ever done anymore. Um, and so you would have to pay more money to buy a stock or a, a bigger discount to sell a stock if you had less than 100 shares. So there's always a, as a matter of fact, there used to be an eighth tick. They called it an odd lot uh, differential. So so with that being the case, you tried to buy 100 share lots. And so if the stock price got too expensive for the common guy to buy 100 shares, companies would start splitting the shares up to make them lower so the common investor could still buy the 100 shares. So that's where it comes from. So with that being the case, at $700 a share, uh, the belief is that we get more excitement about the stock and people wanting to buy the stock if the share price is lower. It doesn't mean the stock is worth anymore when you do a share a split. It just simply means that there's more shares that are out there. So, Tom, if you had $10,000 worth of Tesla, at $700 a share, you're still going to have $10,000 worth of Tesla when they split it at $200 a share. That doesn't change. What tends to happen, though, however, however and in fact, uh, Tesla shares went up, uh, I think I just read 8%. Um, maybe that's a little bit uh, light on my percentage, or a little bit too heavy. But let's just say that after the this on Friday yesterday, um, the share prices went up. And the reason is, is because people say, well, geez, if the share price is lower, people are going to go want to run and they're going to buy some. Um, and additionally, um, it went up uh, 2% in the next 10 hours, by the way. Um, but what it does is it makes it so that that stock is easier for people to purchase. Um, I can give you 100 shares as an incentive to become an employee for the company. All this sort of stuff is a lot easier to do at a lower price. So um, does it have anything to do with uh, with uh, Elon Musk? I mean, who knows? It's not going to change the value of what he has coming up um, in the split, um, uh, but maybe it makes it uh, easier for him to sell some if people want to buy it at 200 a share versus selling it at uh, $700 a share. Well, I couldn't let you go in the few minutes we have left without uh, diving into uh, cryptocurrency for a bit. <laughs> the uh, the situation with many of the cryptocurrencies. You know, I actually are up. like you. I don't know why you do this to me. <laughs> well, apparently, uh, a, a number of the cryptocurrencies uh, have quickly bottomed out, and even some of the big ones are really suffering. And you know, now we're to a point where mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and Uncle Joe are talking about investing in cryptocurrency. Uh, what does that mean for the cryptocurrency market when the average investor who probably has no idea how the stuff works is is talking about investing money in it? Well, I think that's a recipe to the end. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, you know, <clears throat> I, I think the biggest thing is if you're going to invest in cryptocurrency, you better be able to explain what it is to yourself um, or be able to even better explain to somebody else. And, and most people can't do that. I'm in this industry and I can do it, kind of. <laughs> um, but but you have to have the, the recognition that it's a computer program. And you're, you're buying a computer program that's trading money with other people that want to trade uh, money. Again, I made the joke so many times before, Tom, at least when the tulip bulb market was going crazy, you at least had tulip bulbs. Yeah. And inside of the cryptocurrency marketplace, it's a computer program, especially in Bitcoin, that nobody knows who developed it. Um, uh, that person apparently still has some shares, but nobody knows where they go. Um, there's no customer service in case something screws up. Um, it is a bet from every measure of the uh, uh, the platform. 
All right. Well, we're just about out of time today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday, how can they do that? <clears throat> Monday morning, folks, 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street, Wassa. We'll be there. Stop it in. Say hello and hi. Kick the tires. Have some coffee. Um, you can give us a call locally, 715-849-3600, outside of the Wasa area, 866-355-5100, or find us online at kelchinassociates.com. All right. We'll talk to you again down the road. All right, my friend. Have a good rest of the weekend. That's Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates here in Wasa. We've got the news on the way. The Polka Show is coming up as well. Brewer baseball this afternoon. The Brewers will try to end that uh, seven-game losing streak as they take on the Washington Nationals in D.C. And we'll have it for you, pregame show at 2.30 this afternoon on WSAU. Are you concerned about having a CT, MRI, or other radiology exam? 